This podcast contains content and language not suitable for some listeners. Welcome to Oddities and Curiosities, a podcast about murder, the paranormal, and other oddities short of pique your curiosity. We are Amanda and Brittany. Hey, friend. What's, what's you doing over I'm there? sitting at your dining room table recording a podcast. Okay. How okay. are you doing? Is that better? <laughs> oh, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> We're both sitting here twirling our hair. I'm good. I'm great. I'm grand. I am so glad. I am too. I have no complaints. I mean, besides the obvious, but we're not, we're just not going to get into that because we say it all the time. You know what? But it's Friday finally. Mm-hmm. We are recording on a Friday again. We're back on schedule. Cause it's Friday. You ain't, ain't got, got no, no job, job and you ain't got shit to do. I mean, that's not entirely but true. We're, but we're, yeah, we're, it's Friday. Yeah. We're not getting This high, is how though. we do it. It's Friday yeah. night. And we feel all right. <laughs> I do feel all right tonight. <laughs> okay. So it's episode 107. Sleazy lawyers. And boy, are they. Mm-hmm. Fuck these dudes. I okay. I'm like just going to go ahead and say it. Like douche. The douche box might be a little full. We might need like a bigger box for these. A dudes. douche crate. <laughs> yeah, a douche crate. A douche crate. <laughs> yeah. That's terrific. Okay, <laughs> that works. I like it. We're keeping it. <laughs> yeah, so go to the socials yes. and do that stuff. So you can see our case photos and, and shenanigans. Send us spooky stories. Oh, it's that time. It's that time. Get on it now. All of you people that tell me in day-to-day life, hey, hey I, I have this story. Now is the time. Now is your time to shine. Put it down in writing, please, and thank you. Yeah, you can speak it into your phone. It's really not that hard. You can do it. I have faith in you. We believe in you. We believe in you. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want your story to make it into our fantabulous special Halloween episode... Send you it. need to send it in. Like that, you, that's that's your first step. That's you know. And just FYI, if yeah. you want it to be anonymous, we do that. Yeah, we can totally do that. We do that here. We, we've done it before. Mm-hmm. Every season. Mm-hmm. We don't mind. Nope. So you'll be totally protected. Yeah. We won't tell a soul. We don't know anybody. It's fine. <laughs> You're safe. <laughs> we know no one. <laughs> we talk to each other and maybe like three other people. It's fine. I talk to You're myself good. more than other humans. Ooh. <laughs> That's probably true. Now that I actually think about Let's it. Let's not dwell on that. No, we're not going to go too deep into that. Um. So other things you can find on mm-hmm, on the mm-hmm, socials. Mm-hmm. Oh, mind is, teasers. Uh, mind teasers. Guess the topic of the week. You don't get a prize for it, but you get a gold star. Bragging rights. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and guess that cryptid. Oh, definitely. You do get something for that if you guess it right. And uh, hump day treats. Oh, yes. Because uh, it's, it's hump, hump day. day. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that was, that was, yeah. Way better than last week. It was so sad. We did some movements this week. Mm-hmm. So just my shoulders, but that's all we did. Yeah, I don't care. I'm it's proud of me. you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm proud. All right, baby. What what did you bring us this week? 
Okay. That's probably why we're a little peppy, come to think of it. Well, that and the fact that I've had two coffees today. Ooh. Two minty coffees. That's okay. It's okay. Don't make that face. It's, it's okay. Fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's Friday. I mean, they were both pumpkin. I was super oh, basic bitching it up. There was cold foam. It was a thing. It's just, just fine. It's fine. Anywho. Britt, you're a Target baby. Okay. <laughs> there, there is no more. Shocker. It's she's. <laughs> she had pumpkin spice while it's 90 degrees outside. Of course she did. She was shopping at Target. But we love you. Okay, but I was at Target though. Anyhow. <laughs> okay, so this week. I'm going to preface this by saying I had the worst migraine of my entire life oh, this week. Oh, God, she did, y'all. It Ooh. put me down. <laughs> For like two, three, no, three and a half days. Yeah, it was a whole thing. This is the first day I feel normal all mm-hmm. week. Um, So in saying that, I didn't work on my case this week like I normally do. So I started on my case <laughs> last night. <laughs> It's and okay. all okay. the notes I had saved from previous, because I try to do a lot of research before the season even starts. I had to scrap She's them. She's an overachiever. It's fine. I just had to scrap all my notes and start over again. So that's what I was doing last night. And I realized I hadn't come up with a hump day treat yet. So Steven is like hooked on this chat GBT thing. GBT. What it's like GBT? you ask it questions. It's like... I don't even know because I'm not technologically savvy, but you ask it questions and it answers the question. It makes decisions for you? Yes. <gasps> and it can like write stories. Like he's put in like bedtime story for five-year-old teaching kindness and it just like comes up with a story. And you okay. I it. need this in my life. It's insane. So Stephen was like, I'm just going to type in chat GBT or whatever and see what it says. And everything it was coming up with was super cheesy. And it was like, you know what? I have no other ideas. So here we are. (laughs) Super cheesy is the way I went. I like super cheesy. So we are having a, (laughs) what, 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 what's it called? A corrupt coffee. Yes. And (laughs) it is definitely corrupt. Uh Uh-huh. And a deceitful dessert shot. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> what that means is <laughs> I had this espresso vodka martini, like pre-mixed thing that was so delicious that I drank a while back. I had another one. Oh, we did that at the Golden Girls party. Golden Girls party. Yeah. yeah. So I grabbed that and I, I just invented this out of my ass. So here you go. <laughs> As I'm eating. <laughs> I wasn't cool. talking about the tiramisu. I, I, I know. Oh, you just gave it away. Yeah, I know, but it just made me giggle. Anyway, <laughs> I just invented this. There is a more graceful way to say it. Mm-mm. I took a cup of this pre-made espresso martini mm-hmm. and threw that in the blender. And then I took a cup of chocolate milk and threw that in the blender. Mm-hmm. And then, what, like four cups of ice? Yeah. It was threw that in the blender and I blended it up and poured it in cups and put whipped cream on top. And here we are. And voila, chef's kiss to this shit. Cause um, it's so look, good. I'm not a coffee drinker. It makes me super jittery. I love the taste, but this. And that's why I did the chocolate milk and whipped cream was for Manders. Thank you. So I appreciate it. Here we are. And it's, it's like a mocha martini and it's mm, delightful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like you just. Through some vodka and a mocha frappuccino. Like, it's really good. I really like it. 
And then for the dessert shooter thing, so I had this idea of getting like an actual dessert shooter, like they sell the individual little oh, dessert yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. I scoured the interweb <laughs> for bakeries close by or something, some sort of sweet shop that had them because I was convinced that Whisk would have them or you know something, someplace like yeah. that. Julianne's, nothing. Prep cakes, nothing. I looked at prep I'm, cakes. I, yeah, I'm shocked. Nothing. So I found this like Ashley's Tears of Love place on oh, Marshall yeah. Street. Yeah. yeah. And I had never been by there. And they had some like little um, cheesecake cup things. I was like, I'm going to go by there and try these. I can't, couldn't get by there in time. They closed at 430. Oh. So Target came in clutch with these little <laughs> tiramisu cups. So it sort of looks like a dessert shooter. But it's not. It's like a little little tiramisu cup. Little well, mine's gone. Cup. It's really good. It's really good. So there we are with. Spiked coffee and tiramisu. Well, I love the corrupt coffee and the de- what deceitful, deceitful dessert, dessert shooters. They they pair nicely. It works, and they're cute. I might already be a tat bit. I've drank a little bit more than you. <laughs> you yeah, you was. I told you it was over there. good. It's like a chocolate milkshake with a hint of coffee. Look, mm-hmm. it's good. good. Yeah, just do it. Just mm-hmm. do. It. Just Nike it up. I don't know what to tell you. Just Nike it up. Just do it. Okay. I don't know. That was cute. (laughs) That was so cute. Are you loving this for me? I love this journey for you. Okay. Well, let's go on another journey. Y'all. Oh, these people piss me off. I don't know about yours. I've never heard it. I don't think. But the one. Oh, God. I'm so irritated already. Yeah, mine sucks, too. But mine. You told me a little bit of yours. Mine's Mm -hmm. not like that. Okay. It's not like that. Yeah, mine's so bad. My dude's garbage, but not that kind of garbage. Okay. All right. So my sleazy lawyer of the day (laughs) is Paul Berggren. Ew. I know, and I'm going to say Bergen a lot. Like the Bergens is yes. what it makes me think of. Yes, that's why I left it Bergen. <laughs> okay. Okay, so Paul Bergen, who was born December 8th, 1955, is a former criminal defense lawyer and convicted felon who practiced law in Newark, New Jersey. I have a picture of Paul, just so you can see who we're dealing with right up front. It says Paul. Cool. Ew. Look at that mustache. Right. What are you doing? That <laughs> <laughs> looks like somebody drew it on him with a pencil. <laughs> Wait, do we hate him? Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Total garbage. The, what, what are you doing? The topic sleazy lawyers. I, and he's got the sleazy lawyer haircut and everything. And like, his pencil drawn mustache. Uh, it, it's terrible. All right. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Totes. He was known for defending a range of famous and notorious clients. Mm. Due to his numerous crimes, he was disbarred. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. This is my synopsis. I love this. Keep going. (laughs) A veteran lawyer from the area said that the crimes alleged in his federal indictment would make Bergeron the craziest, most evil lawyer in the history of New Jersey. Holy shit. So this is who we are discussing today, friends. You have roped me in. I'm here. Bergeron grew up in Far Rockaway. Never heard of it. (laughs) Queens. It's a neighborhood in Queens. Okay. Okay. A middle class neighborhood at the time. He attended colleges I've never heard of. (laughs) 
Brooklyn College and studied law at the Shepherd Broad College of Law. That sounds made up. <laughs> yeah, just a tad. But Wikipedia said it, okay, so it's true. So it's true. Okay, okay. Bergren joined the U.S. Army. Oh, and- no. <laughs> That's where it always starts. God. He joined the Army in 1979, serving as a major in the 75th Ranger Regiment. Was he discharged? They're always discharged for some stupid well, I mean, he was discharged, but it doesn't say, like, like he didn't get in trouble. And get okay. <laughs> but it just seems like they always are. The bad guys always are, yeah. <laughs> Bergeron was admitted to the Florida Bar and the New Jersey Bar in 1980 okay. and the New York Bar in 1986. So he could practice law down the coast. Everywhere. Yeah. After his discharge from the Army, Bergren worked as a prosecutor in Essex County, New Jersey, and starting in 1987, worked for the U.S. government as an assistant U.S. attorney. Great. So he started as a good guy. Moving on up. I mean, climbing that ladder. Mm -hmm. You do get it, girl. He was an Army man. (laughs) Then he was a (laughs) A good guy guy lawyer. Yeah. Okay. When did he go crooked? I'm going to tell you. Okay. In November 1989, Bergeron testified as a character witness on behalf of two investigators for the Essex County Prosecutor's Office who were charged with protecting a Newark drug dealer in exchange for cocaine and money. Oh, that, no, that's so, bad. two of his co-workers were being investigated, and he was going to be a character witness for them. Okay. Bergeron called the defendants upstanding individuals who would never put their careers or jobs in jeopardy by stating anything other than the truth. Hmm. Although Bergren was assured before his court appearance that his job would not be affected by his testimony, Bergren said afterwards that he felt a coolness and aloofness toward him from his fellow prosecutors. So they didn't like that he stood up for these two these Huge two bags. Yeah. Okay. Several months after his testimony, Bergren decided to resign from the U.S. Attorney's Office and become a defense lawyer. Bum, bum. He 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 got a taste, did he? This is where he done fucked up. Okay. From 1990 to 2005, he was a partner at Pope, Bergren, and Verdesco. Bergren's clients included gang leaders, drug dealers, and celebrities, including drug kingpin Hakeem E.T. Hawk Curry, Angelo the Horn Prisco, (laughs) Queen Latifah, Hi girl, Naughty by Nature, Hi, and Lil Kim, Hi girl. He also represented Heather Hetty DiCarlo, a former Miss New Jersey, accused of bouncing more than seventy thousand dollars in checks. Yeah, he defended Javal Davis, charged along with Lindy England, an Army reservist from Roselle, New Jersey, who in two thousand five admitted abusing detainees at the I don't know how to pronounce this Abu, Abu Ga- Garib Garib Garib. Sorry. I don't know. Prison in Iraq. There you go. He he was abusing detainees in Iraq. As well as PFC Corey R. Claggett, who was convicted in the Iron Triangle murders, which ooh, I never ooh, heard of. Ooh, what is that? I don't know, and I wanted to Google it so bad, but I was afraid it was going to take me into dangerous territory, so I didn't go there, but I'm saving that for to later. To be dude. continued. Yes. Okay. Okay, so I've got a couple of detailed Stories of some of Bergren's crimes. Okay, okay, all right. Here we are, friends. 
Do, is it, are they banned? Like, are they- no? He went to jail for silly things like kicking over scooters <laughs> and <laughs> peeing Did in he public. Cartwheel away from the police. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> yes, it's bad. He's going to federal prison. <laughs> In 2001, after Marilou Bruno Velez dropped off her nine-year-old daughter, Carolyn Velez, at school, her husband, Norberto Velez, who was in the process of getting a divorce, so the couple was living separately. Okay. He approached her car and asked to speak with her. The little girl, Carolyn, was living with her father at the time under a joint custody agreement and had just spent three days with her mother. And Norberto became angry that she had not returned the daughter sooner. So (laughs) nine-year-old little girl had three days with her mom. Mom went to drop her off at school. Dad confronted mom at the school when she was dropping her daughter off. She only had her for three days. I know. that. Well, it's going to get much worse than the three-day thing. So you just calm down over there. (sighs) They began arguing over custody of their daughter and Norberto stabbed his wife eight or nine times with a steak knife. Oh. A number of other parents outside the school witnessed the stabbing, called the police. Good. And Norberto was arrested and charged with attempted murder. Okay, so she lived. Yes. Good. He was represented by Bergren, who argued that his client was acting in self-defense and temporarily insane. No. On July 8th, 2003, Norberto Velez was acquitted of attempted murder, second-degree aggravated assault, and third-degree aggravated assault on the grounds of self-defense, and acquitted of fourth-degree aggravated assault with a deadly weapon on the grounds that he was temporarily insane. The only way that would be self-defense is if she had a deadly weapon as well. Well, I'm finna get to it. Ugh. This is just the beginning. That was your gateway. Just the tip, huh? That was just the tip. I don't like this game. (laughs) I don't like it this time. (laughs) Bergeron alleged that Marilou abused both Norberto and his children and led him into deep depression and psychosis. Fuck you. Norberto was 40 years old when the trial began and had never been arrested before. Bergren suggested that something had to happen because of his wife's repeated threats to remove his children and not allow him to ever see them again. She may have threatened that because he's freaking psycho. Apparently, he's stabbing folks with kitchen knives. Jesus. Bergren got testimony from Carolyn Velez, the nine-year-old, that her mother had taken the steak knife used in the stabbing from her father's home and argued that Marilou had brought it to the scene and used it to attack Norberto, who Bergen said, Bergren... (laughs) who Bergren said had defensive wounds on his hands. Bergren said that Carolyn would not lie for her father's sake because she would fear being beaten by her mother. So he's saying everything the nine-year-old saying is true. She wouldn't lie because she's afraid of her mom. But after the acquittal, Hmm. Bergren said that he had a pretty good chance of winning Norberto full custody of his children. Norberto faced another trial for witness tampering stemming from an allegation by his wife that he threatened to kill himself if she did not drop the charges. And he was acquitted of that as well. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. This is all such good news. Thanks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're still not done. I know. (laughs) After Norberto told Carolyn, his daughter, that he had been acquitted, she told her mother that he, her father, Bergren and Bergren's girlfriend, had coached her to lie under oath. What the? On July 9th, Marilou took Carolyn to the Essex County Prosecutor's Office where she made a 90-minute video-recorded statement 
that she had been coached to lie. Sweet. Did anything come out of this? Man, fuck no. (sighs) Carolyn later testified that Berggren told her he needed her to help keep her father out of prison and that this is the kind of case where you can't tell the truth. Really? Fuck. You're going to say that to a Mm nine-year-old? Okay. She said that Berggren told her to falsely claim that her mother was mean and nasty and threw me down the stairs and beat me with hangers. Oh, my God. And to falsely tell investigators that Mary Lou had grabbed the kitchen knife when she and Carolyn had stopped at his house to pick up her book bag on the way to school. So that didn't even happen. They never even stopped by his house. Oh, my God. Carolyn also recalled trips to New York toy stores, restaurants, and movies, as well as the gift of an autographed photo from one of Berggren's other clients, Queen Latifah, which prosecutors characterized as bribes. Carolyn testified that she lied in statements to investigators and as a witness at a bail hearing, an evidence suppression hearing, and her father's trials, and that after her father found out she had told the truth at one session, he picked her up screaming, grabbed her by the neck, pushed her, and told her he would go to jail. So she reverted to her rehearsed story, telling investigators that she was afraid of her mother because her mother had hit her and told her what to say. Well, it's completely the opposite. Yeah, her dad scared her so bad that she would rather lie for him and get her mom in trouble. Mm. Hate him. It's so sad, this poor nine-year-old. I know. Berggren suggested in his own trial later that Carolyn's mother, grandparents, aunt, uncle, and cousins had put her up to changing her story and pointed out that Carolyn said in the video-recorded statement that she did not want to see her father again because he needed anger management Questioning how such a young girl could know what anger management was. Well, apparently she's been around enough of it. Yeah. That she knows. <laughs> I mean, I nine-year-olds aren't stupid. No, they're not stupid. And fuck you, dude. <sighs> so, yeah. That's just one, one case There's where one. he was doing sleazy shit. Great. Okay. Here's another. As cool. the attorney for Hakeem Curry... Berggren was hired to represent a number of members of Curry's drug trafficking organization, including Curry's cousin, William Baskerville. When Baskerville was arrested in November 2003, Berggren spoke to him in jail and learned that Baskerville suspected the source of the government's evidence against him was Deshaun McRae, also known as Chemo. 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 <laughs> okay. And a phone? Huh? Kelso? No. 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 In a phone call to Curry, which was intercepted by FBI agents who were wiretapping Curry's cell phone, which, Mm. of course, if you're working with criminals, why wouldn't you think that their phones are tapped? Yeah. Y'all are stupid. Berggren said, I got a chance to speak to William, and he said the informant is a guy by the name of Camo. Anthony Young later testified that about a week after Baskerville's arrest, he and other Curry organization members met with Berggren, who told them that if McRae testified against Baskerville... Baskerville would never see the streets again, but that Berggren could not get Baskerville out if McRae did not testify. Young testified that Berggren told them no chemo, no case. And as he left, he pointed his finger at the group and repeated once more, no chemo, no case. So he pretty much said kill chemo. Yeah. Kill McRae. Wow. Alberto Castro, a drug dealer also represented by Berggren, later testified that Berggren offered him $10,000 to put a hit on McRae. Shut up. Castro said that as he was making twenty to 25000 a week selling drugs at the time, he did not need the money, and he refused the offer. Pocket change. <laughs> right? 
On March 2nd, 2004, while McCray was walking with another person on a busy Newark street, a heavyset mm. black male with dreadlocks confronted the pair, shot McCray three or four times, and then fled in a car. McCray was pronounced dead at the scene. So he found somebody else. Mm-hmm. The U.S. Attorney's Office moved to have Bergren removed from Baskerville's case because of his disclosure of the informant's identity. Bergren said, because they knew, because they had mm-hmm, tapped the phone calls. Mm-hmm. Bergren said that although the informant's name was withheld in the complaint against Baskerville, the details included of the dates and quantities of his drug purchases, as well as the date he was arrested, made his identity clear. So he was like, y'all pretty much already told him without saying the name. True. Bergren denied that he, Curry, and Baskerville had anything to do with McRae's death, saying that McRae was informing on several drug dealers and many people had a motive to kill him. And also suggested that the real reason for the motion to remove him from the case was retaliation for his vigorous defense of his clients, saying, when you're constantly battling prosecutors and law enforcement officers who are your adversaries, sometimes you make enemies. Fuck you. He's like, I'm so good at my job. Oh, my God. That people are out to get me. Bergren withdrew from the case in December. (laughs) Federal prosecutors charged Baskerville with conspiracy to murder McRae in March 2005. But Bergren was not yet charged with that crime. Yet. Yet. Mm -hmm. I like the yet. Mm -hmm. Okay. So another one. Richard (laughs) and I am only giving you just a little snippet. Yeah. Oh, great. Whatever this was. Snip it. It was. That was the hand motion. Yeah. Uh, It was kind of like almost jazz hands, but not quite there. I don't know what that was. I don't know what it was, but I got it. I'm fine. (laughs) Totally. Totes. Mm -hmm. Richard Pozo. (laughs) That's legit his name, I swear. Oh, no. P-O-Z-O. Pogo. Pogo? No. (laughs) <laughs> no, that's John Wayne Gacy. Yeah. <laughs> Richard Pozo, yeah. a large-scale cocaine trafficker. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> Another stand-up citizen. <laughs> retained Bergeron to represent him after he was indicted in February 2004. Hmm. Bergeron determined that Pozo's co-defendant, Pedro Ramos, was cooperating with the government against Pozo. Pozo later testified that Bergeron asked him if he knew where Ramos lived and said, if we know where he is, we can take him out and all our headaches will go away. To which Pozo responded, are you nuts? And he got a new attorney. Good job, Pozo. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh my God. I know. This is insane. Let's this just is, kill people. Let's just get rid of them. This is like, should be some sort of offshoot from the Sopranos. I was just thinking the same thing. Wild. It's yeah. Wild. I need a drink. Yeah. I'm going to slow mine down. (laughs) Yeah, I got a lot of energy going on over here. I'm excited. I am all in it. Might need to drink this more often. You are smiling really big and you keep doing your eyebrows. Can I have this at work? No. I'd get so much done, though. But would you? I mean, for a minute. What would the quality Either that or be I'd be like? running my damn mouth. You'd be running I'd your be damn running mouth. <laughs> Side note, I put up the behavior chart today and your name is on it. So. My name is on it! <laughs> oh, no. Wait, wait. I'm not in your department. You are not my supervisor. You're on the chart. I'm on the chart. Fuck. No more of y'all's fuckery. <laughs> better behave myself at work now. God, you just suck the fun right out of it. (laughs) 
I'm going to get on the bad list just because. You want to be naughty? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to push those limits, see how far I can move myself onto the naughty list. Oh, my gal. <laughs> what does it take? Let's see. <laughs> Not much, since Delana's already those. halfway down the door. I just hung it up today. She's already halfway down. <laughs> it don't take much. Okay. All right. Next story. Oh. There's more. I think it's Vincent. Yeah. We're going to go with it. In think, English, it'd be Vincent. So I, I'm English. So here we go. <laughs> <laughs> you speak English. I'm white. Here we go. <laughs> Vincent Estevez, Emilio Estevez, (laughs) Emilio, the mighty duckman, I swear to God. (laughs) Okay, so Vincent Estevez, not Emilio, was another drug trafficker arrested by federal agents in 2008, and he also retained Bergen on the advice of a fellow inmate. Estevez later testified that Bergen advised him to kill the witnesses. Quoting Bergren as saying, there's no witnesses, there's no case. He just wants to kill everybody. Look, oh, no. he sucks so bad. Estevez also <sighs> testified that Bergren helped him compile tax returns that would make his drug revenues look like legal income so he could use it to pay his bail. Oh, shit. And arranged for Estevez's co-defendants to be represented by attorneys who were tasked with informing Bergren if anyone decided to cooperate with the prosecution. Oh, shit. Estevez said that Bergeron told him it wasn't his first time. He's done this. He's a professional. Yeah. In conversations Mm. with Oscar Cordova, a federal informant who posed as a hitman while secretly recording their conversations, Bergeron told Cordova to kill an associate of Estevez's called Junior the Panamanian. (laughs) Wait a minute. I know. That is not... A very covert name. What? <laughs> Saying, we got to make it look like a robbery. It cannot, under any circumstances, look like a hit. We have to make it look like a home invasion robbery. Bergren later claimed in court that he knew all along that Cordova was an informant and he was role-playing in these conversations. Oh, my God. This dude. <laughs> oh. Oh. In Sir. the worst way. Are you almost done with this? Fucking dirt bag? <sighs> yeah. No. Well, yeah. This last bit's going to go quick. <laughs> In 2001, Bergren met Jason Itzler, who called him after being arrested at Newark Liberty International Airport for trying to smuggle ecstasy into the United States. We're it's- good. We're good. <laughs> We've got plenty. <laughs> <laughs> Itzler served seven months in jail for the drug charge and was released on parole in 2003, after which he founded a prostitution ring in Manhattan called New York Confidential. Oh, my God. I love that. (laughs) Itzler, though not a practicing attorney, had attended the same law school as Bergeron. You know, the fake one that it sounded like earlier. (laughs) I don't even remember the name of it. (laughs) Because it's not important. Shepherd Bound or whatever the fuck it was. Shepherd's Crook. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Shepherd's Pie Law School. I love a good Shepherd's Pie. (laughs) I mean, I would go there for that. Okay, okay. Itzler. Uh, Yeah. Bergeron helped Itzler meet the conditions of his parole, which required him to maintain legitimate employment by fraudulently listing him as a paralegal in his office. 
<laughs> Bergren was paid as much as $5,000 a week in cash <sighs> to launder the business's earnings through two shell companies and enjoyed the prostitute services at the brothel's expense. Of course he mm-hmm. did. Was he married? Do we care? I I don't care. Okay. And who would do it? (sighs) Garbage. In 2005, authorities arrested Itzler, who pleaded guilty to money laundering and promoting prostitution in 2006, and was sentenced to 18 months in prison. Hmm. Bergeron then took over the business for two months. During this time, oh, yeah. During this time, authorities alleged that Bergeron grossed fifty thousand to eighty thousand dollars in two mm. months' time. He said, "I got you, boo." Watch, before watch. that was before payroll and other expenses. Jesus. In two thousand seven, okay. Bergeron was arrested and charged with money laundering, conspiracy, promoting prostitution, and misconduct by an attorney, with the possibility of up to twenty five years in prison. Yes. Here's a mugshot <laughs> of the Bergen. He kind of looks like a Bergen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> should we post the picture of the Bergens? Yes, we should. Well. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, he looks even sleazier without the mustache. I don't know how that's possible. He looks like one of those dads at like a Little League baseball game that yells at the umpire. Ooh, most definitely. <laughs> and he's probably about five foot tall. Yes, that's exactly what he looks like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Got it. Yep. Mm. Gross. Yep. I agree with all the things. <laughs> On May 4th, 2009, he pleaded guilty to misdemeanor charges, and he was sentenced in September to time served. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, God, I'm not done, though. Sucks. I'm okay. Not done. Okay. To time served. Three years probation and forfeiture of $50,000. So that's what happened in May 2009. Okay. Also in May 2009, mm-hmm. Bergram was arrested for conspiring to murder an informant in March 2004 yeah. to prevent his testimony against one of Bergram's clients. <laughs> Just one? So far. There's a few. From the time of this arrest until November 2009, Bergram was held in a special housing unit by the U.S. <laughs> Bureau of Prisons. A federal judge ordered his release into the general population. Yeah. We are not protecting you anymore, motherfucker. Oh, my God. I bet that was fun. Right. <laughs> On June 6, 2011, Bergram was charged with a multitude of federal criminal charges. A federal grand jury returned a 138-page a second superseding indictment against Bergram, previously accused of heading a crime syndicate, Involved in bribery, mortgage fraud, and murder of a witness, now adding racketeering charges. Yeah! Bergren's first trial in 2011 on a portion of the charges ended in a hung jury, which sucks. In 2012, the Third Circuit permitted the government to introduce evidence of another occasion when Bergren had allegedly plotted the murder of a witness who planned to testify against a client of his, Richard Pozo, who we talked about earlier. Yeah, okay. On March 18th, 2013, a jury convicted attorney Bergeron of all 23 counts on which he was tried, including conspiracy to murder a witness and other racketeering, cocaine and prostitution offenses. Yes. The U.S. attorney for New Jersey, Paul J. Fishman, (laughs) that's unfortunate, (laughs) announced the verdict. Here's a quote from Mr. Fishman. (laughs) Mr. Fisherman? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. 
Berggren's conduct was a stunning violation of his role as an officer of the court and a betrayal of his roots as a member of law enforcement. Today, the jury returned the verdict compelled by the evidence and imposed the justice he deserved. We take no joy from his tragic fall, but I am extremely proud of the work done by those in my office and agents from the FBI, IRS, and DEA that led to this just result. Shit, they should go out celebrating. Right? Bergren received a life sentence on September 23rd, wow. 2013. On December 18th, 2014, his convictions and sentences were upheld by a three-judge <laughs> federal appeals panel. <laughs> Bergren was disbarred in New York in 2010 and yeah. in New Jersey in 2016. They waited until he had been in prison what for two Florida? years. What about Florida? What about Florida? Do they keep him in prison? Florida is wild. <laughs> and then I have one more quote from U.S. Attorney Fishman because he speaks so well. Okay. Paul Bergren's betrayal of the people he once served, the court, and the rule of law was stunning. Each criminal choice he made was a step toward life in prison. Mm -hmm. After all he did to elude punishment for his clients, including orchestrating the murder of witnesses, he could not avoid facing justice for his own crime. Bitch. The end. Love it. Yes, so Paul Bergren, you suck balls. Big ones. Mm -hmm. Sweaty ones. Nasty. Right after the gym. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Swamp ass balls. Swamp ass balls. (laughs) That was so descriptive of you, friend. And I was just going to let you keep going. Just keep going. You know what? He he deserves all the bad things in general population. (laughs) Indeed. Every single bit. All right. Your case was really good. You did a very good job. Thanks, friend. I hate this. Amanda's has all the triggers. I hate this. It has all the triggers. Um... No murder. So that's good. That's good. Um, but it's going to make you mad. So I'm just, I'm just going to get into it. Okay. So for my sleazy lawyer case, I did the case on um, Cheryl Araho. Araho? Yeah. Araho. Araho. She's not the sleazy. <laughs> it was done to her. She's the victim. But... um. I know, I usually pick the funnier stuff, you know, but this one's, okay, it's just, it's been in my back pocket for a long time, I was waiting on this topic, because I saw it like a year ago, and here we are. Okay. Okay. So, (laughs) the Me Too movement has swept over our nation the past few years, allowing the not-so-talked-about topic of sexual abuse and the sadly overwhelming number of women that have experienced it to rise to the surface. Although the movement was momentous, liberating, and continues to impact how we struggle with and fight sexual abuse, it was not the first movement of its kind. In the 1980s, Cheryl and the horrific crime inflicted upon her was at the center of that movement. I have a picture of Cheryl. Okay. Little cutie patootie. Hair. Hello. Hair for days. Love it. That looks like a yearbook photo. It does. I don't know exactly what it is, but it, it kind of does. Mm-hmm. She, she was, has such, like, delicate, pretty features. Oh, It's so sad. Okay. So she was 21 and a mother of two living in her hometown of New Bedford, Massachusetts. 
On March 6, 1983, she decided to stop at a bar, Big Dan's Tavern, just to buy some cigarettes. And after go having- to the gas station, I know, I know, I don't, I don't know. Don't ever go to a place called Big Dan's. Look, I didn't buy cigarettes in the 80s, so I don't know <laughs> what it was like. Never go to Big Dan's. Don't ever again. No, that should not be a place that a woman goes into. Don't go to Big Dan's. <sighs> Sorry, uh, I didn't mean to interrupt. But no, you're fine. We're, I'm about to tell you why. So she had a drink with a waitress at a table. She got up to leave and was grabbed from behind by a man. For two hours that followed, Cheryl was raped on a pool table by four men while other patrons in the bar laughed and fucking cheered. Oh, my God. During the trial, one spectator even admitted that he shouted, Go for it! Go for it! As she was being raped. She was able to escape, running into the street half naked and eventually being picked up by a car she flagged down. Four men, including John Cordero, whatever. I, look, I didn't look up how to pronounce these because I don't care. Victor Raposo, Daniel Silva, and Joseph Vieira something yeah, were charged with raping Cheryl, while two other men... Jose Medeiros and Virgilio. Virgilio. <laughs> yeah, Virgilio Medeiros were charged as accessories to the rape for failing to intervene. I'm guessing they were the ones mm-hmm. cheering. Well, I have a photo of the guys. Okay. If you care just to see the sleaze bags that did this horrible thing. They're oh grainy. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> Ugh. Um, but there they are. I can't. Mm. Okay. I have words, but they're not coming out. Yeah. Just keep going. So here we go. Here, Here's where it gets into all the <laughs> shittier stuff, if that wasn't bad enough. The trial of the six men was the first rape case to be televised nationally and garnished significant attention. For nearly a month, the trial took place before live television cameras and viewers were able to hear every detail of the tragic assault. You'd think that things would go differently. Although the judge did not allow cameras to film Cheryl, he failed to consider the importance of concealing her personal information. Of course. As a result, both her name and address were broadcast to the nation when she took the stand to testify. She was ruthlessly cross-examined six times by defense attorneys who attacked every part of her character and life, Asserting she actually consented and was even asking for it. Nobody asks for that. They vilified her, ultimately blaming her for her own assault and acting as if she was the monster for potentially ruining the lives of six men on trial. Fuck off. Defense lawyer Edward Venn went so far as to ask her, if you're living with a man, because she was mm-hmm. with her two kids. Um, what are you doing run around, running around the streets getting raped? Are you fucking kidding I'm me? I'm not fucking kidding you. That's a quote. The four defendants charged with aggravated rape were found guilty and sentenced to six to 12 years in prison while the two other men were charged as accessories and they were acquitted. <clears throat> Okay. The case was highly sensationalized and known internationally for multiple reasons. For one, it's 
And it even has a name. It's called Big Dan's Rape. Yeah, I didn't include that in here, but it does. It has a name. How Okay, I know I was trashing Big Dan's Tavern earlier, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but how sad for Big Dan that he is now associated with this as well. Yeah. Um, For one, it sparked a debate regarding what information about victims should be released to the public and if criminals... If, if criminal trials should be televised at all, debate centered around victim blaming also took place, resulting in contrasting viewpoints about what does and doesn't cons- constitute consent. Mm-hmm. I mean, no. If she says no, no. then she's not consenting. <laughs> Furthermore, it created immense tension in the community of New Bedford as the majority of the community was of Portuguese descent. Like, which kind of made sense to me after I saw their photos because... They looked a little Hispanic. Well, you could tell by their names. Though. Yeah. But it's it's a common thing in that community. Mm-hmm. Not It's like the majority. Anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the Portuguese community felt that the case caused anti-immigrant sentiment and ethnic discrimination, causing their community as a whole to take the blame for the atrocious crime. I can see where they that could I can be see. upset about that, but but maybe mm-hmm. not rape a woman at Big Dance Tavern. Maybe not do that. So yeah, like maybe they should just be like I don't care not what, shitty human beings. Yes, I don't care what descent they are. No, it is not. It has nothing to do with race or even gender. Like mm-hmm. they're just horrible people. Mm-hmm. <sighs> The media took on xenophobic undertones with Hustler magazine feature, featuring a fake postcard with a naked woman on a pool table with the caption, Greetings from New Bedford, Massachusetts, the Portuguese gang rape capital of America. Um, that's not okay. Nope. As a result of these issues, thousands took to the street to protest. Rallies in New Bedford by the Portuguese to fight against the racial slurs and discriminatory beliefs that were targeting their community somehow morphed into protests supporting the assailants and vilifying the victim as the cause of her own exploitation. It's not the victim's fault that this is happening. Not at all. It's upsetting to say the least how the portuguese community was treated when they weren't mm-hmm. the ones that committed the mm-hmm. crime it was mm-hmm. just these four individuals mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all of this sucks all of it petitions even circulated requesting leniency for the convicted men and featured featured over 16,000 signatures no 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 um i have a picture of a newspaper clipping just read the headline. Like, you don't need to see any... Tears of, of two, two rapists. rapists. And it's got pictures of them crying. Don't give a fuck. Don't you think Cheryl was crying? Just a little bit. Cheryl was forced to watch the community she grew up in not only fail to protect her, but dehumanize, verbally threaten, and further victimize her. Fearing for her life and her children's lives, Cheryl moved to Miami to escape the never-ending harassment. Just two years after the trial, Cheryl died after she crashed her car into a tree. Oh, no. Alcohol was determined to be the cause of the crash, with her boyfriend stating that she had battled alcoholism in the years following the rape and had been in rehab for the past six months before her death. That is so awful. (sighs) 
It's all awful. So there's the movie. Okay. Okay, so this is actually what made me do this case. <laughs> I was a young child. Um, late night, flipping, I don't know what age, young enough, um, to where I shouldn't have been watching this kind of shit. Probably flipping through channels, late night HBO, happened to get in on this wonderful scene of the movie. Um, so, of course, I watched that part. I don't know if the rest of it is good, because for the longest time, I, I did not know. <laughs> Until two years ago or so, when I was listening to a podcast, that this was an actual case. Yeah, that's garbage. Yeah. So, um, we can go look at the movie poster. Okay. It has Jodie Foster in it. And she looks gorgeous. She does. Little Miss Young thing. Mm -hmm. And um, Kelly McGillis from Top Gun. Except she's a brunette yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't recognize her until I saw the name. No. I was like, oh, wow, I know her. Okay. At, um, at some point, I watched an episode of, I think, Criminal Minds that had a similar case to it, and it was awful, but it was, like, set in New Orleans, and... Mm, yeah, they, during they give a lot of detail as and, well. Yeah, it, it was not... Yeah, I have no desire to see the movie. Um, I have not... In my something years, <laughs> years, and however many years, however many years it was, um, I have not ventured to watch it again either. Um, yeah. Even though I know it's a real thing now, uh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. So I'm good. you know, if if you're a curious little cat, <laughs> um, <laughs> have at it. But just remember that curiosity probed the Walton. <laughs> um, yeah, remember that. Yeah, remember remember that episode. Yeah, mm -hmm. so maybe. Just, just don't at your own risk. Yeah. All right. There, there's more. There's more. Um, some good things happened a little bit out of this. Okay. Some laws were passed, and all right. So the conflict between the privacy rights of individuals and freedom of press is one that is historically rooted and one that is unlikely to ever be solved by broad principle. Yeah. The United States Supreme Court adamantly and perhaps wisely declines to decide whether either doctrine is strong enough to prevail over the other. Yeah. So <laughs> as a result of Cheryl's case, some states took it upon themselves to pass legislation to protect the identities of victims of rape. Good. Good job. Good. However, the Florida legislature, they tried. They tried a little bit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you a little bit of legal jargon. They answered the victim identity question in favor of privacy by criminalizing the publication of rape victims' names at the beginning of the 20th century. This law has remained in Florida statutes and states. No person shall print, publish, broadcast, or cause or allow to be printed, published, or broadcast in any instrument of mass communication the name, address, or other identifying factor information of the victim of any sexual offense within this chapter. It goes on to say a little bit more, but basically what it means is, <laughs> unless we say you can. Okay. Do better, so Florida. there's a loophole mm -hmm. in there, you know, unless they fill it is necessary. Mm, which, um, it's not. Hmm. It's not. It's not. It's just not. 
Although the names of rape victims are unlikely to be broadcast nationally today, the re-victimization that Cheryl experienced during and after the trial still occurs to present-day sexual abuse victims. Do better. And it's sickening. <sighs> That's why many don't come forward. Mm-hmm. Such victimization can be seen when law enforcement attorneys and service providers do not interact with the victim in a way that is conducive to the victim-centered approach, which means um, this approach focuses on the needs and concerns of victims to ensure that services are delivered in a compassionate, sensitive, and non-judgmental manner, as they should. Mm-hmm. Cheryl's story is a loud reminder of the tragedy that unfolds when neither the prosecution or defense puts a victim's safety and well-being first through the use of this victim-centered approach. When the Senate held a hearing examining the impacts of allowing the trial to be aired on television, Ronald Pina... Peen. Sorry, Pina. (laughs) (laughs) The district attorney of Bristol County, Massachusetts, stated... Rare is the woman who can endure both the trauma of rape and the trauma of a highly publicized trial. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, Cheryl's story is a reminder that although our justice system can be bewilderingly entertaining, such entertainment is always rooted in the suffering of another. True. Mm -hmm. It's hard to say what is more heinous about what happened to Cheryl. Here's a few questions that I decided to keep in. Because, yeah. Was it our justice system's blatant disregard for her safety by not implementing procedures to keep her identity concealed during the trial? Yes. Was it the media spreading her name like wildfire despite recognizing the potential dangers she faced by doing so? Yes. Was it the disturbing and merciless victim blaming by the defense team? Yes. Yeah. Was it the public's desire to use this crime as a way to further perpetuate discriminatory beliefs towards the Portuguese community and immigrants as a whole? Yes. Truly, the ranking of these negligent and despicable acts doesn't matter because the only person who really paid for them was Cheryl, unfortunately. Mm Mm-hmm. She paid for them in every day of her life following her assault. The men who raped her only served six and a half years in prison. I don't feel like that's enough. No. Because it was... Horrific? Horrific. But Cheryl was given a life sentence as she could never escape being amounted to nothing more than the woman who was raped on a pool table. And... She paid, she paid for it with her life, whether it was purposefully self-induced or if it was just an alcohol-fueled accident. Either way. Either way. Her life ended short and left her children without a mother, and that is sickening. I hate it. I hate Mm -hmm. all of it. But I'm done. And fuck (sighs) Paul and Edward. They go all the other douche crate. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they need a crate for their ego. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It all sucks. It sucks. Let's move on to something that doesn't suck. Okay. Okay. Because <laughs> it's time for... Guess That Cryptid! Yeah, I don't know that. <laughs> well, I think we got we, we got most of it. We got the gist of it. It's the majority. getting better. It's getting better. 
Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. All right. It is cryptid number four. Clue number three. Yeah. That third, third time's always usually a charm. Let's see. Let's see what, what you can get. <laughs> I like this oh, one. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Number four. Clue number three. It has bulbous eyes. Ta-da. <laughs> I'm going to say it again because I like what, that what word. That? That? Yeah. yeah. It has bulbous eyes. Hmm. And there you have it, friends. There are two other clues that have been posted in the past couple of weeks. Go look at those. Make sure you take a glimpse at the rules just in case you don't care to take a glimpse at the rules. We're going to explain it to you just right quick. Okay. You can guess one time per cryptid. Once. One time. Okay. If you guess wrong, sorry, you're going to have to wait till the next cryptid. Sorry, Charlie. You can only <laughs> win once because if you did win more than once, you'd be winning the same prize. And plus, we're going to be fair to the other. Well, let's share the funsies, please. Share and share the funsies because it's definitely worth it. Mm-hmm. And if you do win, you will get your present just in time for Christmas. Yeah. Hopefully. Be patient. <laughs> Or New Year's, whichever. <laughs> well, the goal is before the goal, Christmas. The goal is Christmas, but we have a track record of sending things slightly later than what we intend on. But so. but but the important part is that they do get it. You will always get your prize. <laughs> you will always get it. <laughs> All right. Well. Okay. I'm done. Yep. That's it. I'm gonna go. Bye. Bye. Thanks for hanging out with us. Don't forget to visit us on Facebook and Instagram for episode picks and announcements. Please rate and review on Apple, Spotify, and Facebook. We want to give a huge shout out to Stephen Goetzky for editing, Craig Weaver for music, and our very own Amanda Hagen for art. We'll talk at you next week.